You're listening to the Calm Collective Podcast, and I'm your host, Cassandra. This show was created with the sole intention to bring forth human connection, a space for you to be truly heard, felt, and understood. Here, we dive deep into experiences with grief and loss, growth and expansion, and the human experience as a whole through candid conversations. My mission is to leave no stone unturned so that together we can be reminded day in and day out that we're never in any of this alone, that the ability to create a life that we love, a life that we deserve is within us. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Calm Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Cassandra, and I'm so grateful that you're here for yet another episode. Um, Some little housekeeping announcements, mainly around the podcast. I touched on this a little bit on Instagram, um, but I'm going to be doing a little bit of rebranding. I'm really trying to tap into my intuition and just sort of what feels correct as things flow and evolve around all of the healing work that I'm offering and the healing work and practices and rituals that I myself am enduring. Um, And it just kind of feels like the show is ready for a different type of integration. And so what you can expect minor tweaks, nothing crazy, um, regular programming, actually probably some bonus episodes that are just small little nuggets of, um, wisdom, dare I call it, of intuitional hits, um, that just come to me and deserve air and, um, what better way, what better platform to put them out than on this beloved podcast of mine and to share it with all of you. Um, so yes, you can expect some more episodes, everything airing still on Wednesdays, um, again, and some bonus episodes thrown in there. And then also, um, a different name. I've been playing around with a different name and I have one that just literally keeps coming up in my dreams. I keep seeing it in random places. Um, so that feels really correct. I'm still just kind of letting it marinate, uh, and trying not to be super impulsive, um, to really just trust the flow and see how that all lands when the time comes to really pull the trigger. Um, some new cover art, which I'm really excited about. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, but it felt important to share that with you guys here. Interviews will still, uh, be occurring though. I imagine it'll be far more solo episodes. That's been feeling really correct for me. Um, in full transparency, I've been really busy with interviews and I found myself rescheduling a lot of them just, and I don't know why, because I really love doing interviews, but I would wake up on days of interviews with like really bad headaches or feeling so, so sluggish and just out of sorts. And I'm really just taking that as a sign that perhaps, I don't know, I need to look at this a little bit differently and not rely so heavily on interviews and of course cherish them and bring them onto the show um, in accordance with my energy and the message that I really want to get through. So again, I'm not Xing those out completely, but I am going to be um, slowing down a little bit on the interviews. So that's it. Uh, That's all I wanted to say in regard to that. I have some really fun things that are going to be coming to the surface 
Um, oh, and also you can expect a little break while I do some of that rebranding. Um, I don't really know when exactly I'm going to do it. I'm thinking I'm going to take a break in July, but we're going to do another best of series because there's been some really incredible episodes, one that you guys have been listening to a lot. So how that works is I go through, I don't usually look at my analytics. I try to stay away from all of that because this podcast is really, really important to me and I do not need to get mixed up in the numbers and the ratings and all of that. Um, but I'm going to go through the reviews to see what episodes that you guys have really been um, relating to and loving. And then also analytics. Analytics shows me which episodes are getting the most airtime and the most frequent replays. So that's how I decide the best of series. So the podcast is going to keep airing every Wednesday um, while I'm on the other side on the back end, just getting things brand new and, uh, refreshed for all of you. So thank you so much for being here. I love you guys so much. So today we have a repeat guest. Lauren Elman is back. She is a published author and a podcast host who explores the intersection of mental health and social, excuse me, social media use. Her book, BRB, a memoir about coming of age in the digital age is now available for pre-order. This is about her experience as a millennial growing up with the advent of social media and how these technologies have really fundamentally impacted our generation's mental health and adult lives. This episode is so good, so profound, so informational, and just so real. And that is what I live for, are these real no BS conversations where we can get to the root of the truth so that we can all heal by relating and connecting to one another. So let's get into today's episode with author Lauren Elman. I mean, I don't even know how you did that with a baby. (laughs) That's literally what I keep thinking about. Scale of one to 10, how tired are you after writing your second book? Was it exhausting? (laughs) No, honestly, no. So I finished the book almost three years ago. Oh, wow. Three and a half years ago. I wrote it like right after my daughter was born. Okay. And I like got started putting it together. Like when she was a newborn, she was like on my chest every night. And then I finished it up. I like sat, let it sit for a while. And then someone was like teaching a class on like how to um, do a book proposal, I guess, mm-hmm. like this girl I follow, um, Hannah Brencher. And it was called like the year of the book was like the course. And I signed up for it and I learned how to put the book together in a way to package it and sell it to an agent and things like that. So that's when I started getting serious. That was about a year later. And then I put a proposal together pretty quickly and started like querying agents, which is basically telling them about the book and asking them if they want to help me and sign me up to sell me to publishers. And I did that for like two years on and off and got no response or just rejection. Mm -hmm. And that was like discouraging. And then I had a brief moment where like a hybrid publisher was going to help me publish it. And they, I found out it wasn't like the right fit. Like I was going to have to pay so much money out of my pocket for them to do it. Mm. And I realized like all of the things they were doing for me, I could Google my way through 
And I think that platform is better for people who aren't super tech savvy, maybe like older authors or people who don't have experience with like building a platform for themselves and things like that. But I was already kind of doing that anyway. So I decided to teach myself how to do it. And then I went through the self-publishing process. So all of that was like three and a half years long. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I don't think I was like tired. I also had a lot of the book written um, because I gathered basically everything I had written over the past 10 years yeah. and put it all in one document and saw like what the common themes were. And it turned out that's what I've been writing about for the past 10 years is like our relationship with social media and our mental health. And so a lot of the stuff in the book was stuff that I had published already or written on my Instagram and things like that. So yeah, it wasn't too super tiring. Yeah. It but sounds now- like a really or- good organic flow. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Lauren or Loie, as I know her, (laughs) she was on the podcast a while back talking so vulnerably about living a life with anxiety and just more specifically, I think, I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) Oh, it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. I know, and I didn't even do that on purpose, planning my book launch in the middle of Oh, that, but yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Sorry. I just lost my thought. I'm going to, okay. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Lauren Lowy, as I lovingly know her, she was on the podcast a while back where she cracked wide open about living a life with anxiety um, and mothering with anxiety. We talked a lot about that, which I thought was really beautiful. I'm still so insanely grateful for that conversation and for you being so vulnerable. I will link that show for others to tune in should they feel called. Um, but today, we are talking all about mental health and social media, and Loey and I didn't even realize that it is Mental Health Awareness Month. We did not do that on purpose, but that is a beautiful kismet connection. So we're going to be talking about the crutches, the overwhelm, the anxiety, and sometimes pure joy that social media can bring, um, the detoxes that are recommended, something that you are so good at, um, all of it. And who better to have this conversation with than you, my sweet friend, who's invested so much time and energy into writing a book dedicated to this very thing titled BRB, a memoir about coming of age in the digital age. So can you tell me what inspired this book? How did you know that this was something that needed to be written and needed to be seen by other people? Oh, that's a good question. So like I said, I I had, I had been wanting to write another book. I had been, it's been on my heart for a long time and I just didn't know what I was going to write the book about. And that's when I decided to just take everything I had been writing for the past 10 years, gather it all up together, kind of go in the margins of the paper and say like, what have I been writing about? And that's how the idea came about of what the purpose of the book was. And then my content started, um, flowing in the same direction. And I started talking more about mental health and social media and, I saw how much it was resonating, but again, I, I wrote that book. I wrote it about three years ago now. And if I would have published it then, mm-hmm. I don't think the audience would have been primed for the conversation the way they are now. Totally. And right now, like it is a mainstream conversation. People are talking about it. There are documentaries about it. Celebrities are talking about it. Influencers, Forbes, like it's everywhere. People are talking about how mental health is affecting is being affected by social media. So I do feel like it is an important conversation to have. I've been having it for a really long time, but right now is specifically people are able to hear it and people are able to do something with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, I don't think, I think it would have fallen on deaf ears a bit. 
I love that so much when you were talking about how it took you like two years to find, you know, an agent and to, you know, go through all of those rejections and stuff. It just feels like no accident. It's almost like the universe was like, they're not ready for you yet. You know, I think that's so cool. So who did you write this book for? Mm, So I wrote this book for millennials like me um, (laughs) and you. I wrote it for millennials who grew up with this technology Mm -hmm. and it kind of was just, we like came of age with it, right? So a lot of kids right now, it's just there from the point that they're born and they're always in front of it. And for the generation a bit older than us, like they came of age without it. And we specifically came of age, we were in middle school, like 11, 12 years old, and suddenly had the entire internet at our fingers. The adults around us were also just learning about it. So they weren't there over our shoulders, giving us tools, teaching Mm -hmm. us boundaries, you know, putting parent protection on it or anything. So Mm -hmm. it was like the wild west. We could just search for and discover anything we wanted. And that's good and bad. And it definitely shaped who we are fundamentally, like as a generation and it affected our mental health. And we were seeing certain images and we were, there were certain conversations and media headlines and all of that was just constantly getting thrown at our faces. And we had no filter developed for it to, to sort through. And now I think we're starting to realize that we have more control and we can set boundaries, but we have to come up with those tools ourselves. No one is going to hand them to Mm -hmm. us because the parent, our adults, like the parents and all that, they're older now. And like, we we're in charge and we need to do that in order to then teach our kids how to do it. But we can't teach them unless we do it for ourselves first. So like kind of putting the life mask, uh, the oxygen mask on ourselves first. So I wrote it for, for millennials. I wrote it for millennials who, if they're not parents yet, have kids in their lives who they interact with and just in order to unpack their own relationship with social media and the internet so that they can then lead by example for the next generation and help be part of the solution to these problems that are coming up. Absolutely. And one thing that I really loved while reading your book was I had this like light bulb moment of when you were talking about, you know, how young we were and how impressionable all that stuff is at such a young age. Something that I never thought of was it also made us always available it like Mm -hmm. set the tone for like oh no I'm always available for you with AOL like the AIM messages Mm -hmm. or whatever it's like yes you can put a little thing on that says like not here right now but you are you know what I mean and then you're coming back to like this plethora of messages and it's just so unhealthy and it was something that I didn't even register that like started happening so young until I read your book yeah it's like standard practice now. yeah and so we were kids who were always available to our friends yep. and became students always available to our teachers and yeah. became employees always available to our bosses and mothers always available to our families <laughs> and it's yeah. just like a part of our personalities that aren't natural like Absolutely. it wasn't supposed to be there so an an off question I just thought of this right now but do you think that there's a difference between you know how the feminine energy, I don't want to say like women or men because there's so much in between there, but like the feminine energy relates to social media versus like the masculine energy. Do you think that there's like a difference? Oh, I'm sure there is. I haven't explored it myself, but like off the top of my head, I definitely feel like women and men interact with it differently. Mm -hmm. They have different goals with it. They gain different things from it probably. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of women on, on two hands. One, that women are more connecting, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be connected to people around us. We want that village. So I think we seek that there. But we also, you know, love that or we've 
been raised to want the male gaze mm-hmm. and to um, be perceived through the male gaze. So we, you know, think about how we're being seen physically, mm-hmm. what we're saying, like how we're being portrayed. So I think that comes up there. Mm-hmm. But for men, I feel like there's maybe more of like a power dynamic and they're trying to like show mm-hmm. their status. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Even just hearing you say that, too, I really feel like that's starting to change a little bit, too. Like, Mm -hmm. you can see women sort of, you know, giving the middle finger to the male gaze and sort of being like, I don't need that from you. So it's hard because social media, it really is a both and, you know, and we're going to get into that. But Mm -hmm. it is such a, it's a little bit of a mind fuck, (laughs) to be honest. A lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. So I'd be interested, actually, to hear what your own unique relationship is with social media. So can you go back... To when you first started use, using it, I'm, I assume it was something like MySpace or Facebook, right. but just curious as to how your relationship began and how it evolved and the triggers, wounds, struggles, mm-hmm. et cetera, that you've endured sure. along the way with this tool. Yeah. I mean, it started even before MySpace, I had a live journal, mm. which other people had like something called Zanga. It was a similar platform. And it was basically just like an online diary that you would share with your friends and like other people had them and you can like comment and like interact with each other. So I had that and I found it recently. I need to probably share that. With no, you have to. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> it's just even like the aesthetic of it is so like mid 2000s, <laughs> but it was yeah, I did that. And I was writing online from then when I was like 14, 15 years old, just sharing what was going on in my days. And then we got MySpace and we were like coding and mm-hmm. all that. I don't even remember like the mechanics of MySpace. Like if we would comment to each other, I, know. I don't remember. Me either. I just, I just remember, remember top eight. <laughs> top, exactly. We would have top eight and I would put a song. Yeah. But like, I don't really remember like using I know. MySpace so much. But then Facebook, I remember like getting a Facebook. It was like a huge deal. Um, It was just for college students. I didn't know anyone with a college email. And then like my friend had an older brother or something. So she set me up. I think I was a senior in high school. And yeah, that was, Facebook was a completely different animal than Mm -hmm. it is now. Facebook was just like, we would take a million pictures on a single night (laughs) and post them all in an album with like a Kesha song lyric. Yeah show the whole world and then our professors were telling us like oh delete all those pictures you're never going to get a job like it was so different and then Instagram was just a photo app like it came out when I was in college and I remember using it like as a photo editing app Mm -hmm. and then once I was like in my early 20s and I was like a young professional social media started morphing into what it is today there was like Snapchat and people were like using Instagram as social media and um then when I started my own business online, which was to teach other people how to use social media to grow their businesses online, Mm -hmm. which I had to do myself. And I started doing that. And that's when I met you and you were like doing my photos, my brand photography. Um, Yeah, I was teaching people how to brand themselves on the internet because I saw other people doing it and coaching people. And I was like, I I understand this. I have a background in advertising. Like I understand social media. So I started that and it was going well and I had clients and then I was like, oh, I hate what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I'm out here like manufacturing this image for myself for the sake of like looking like someone who knows what I'm talking about. But I'm telling people to do all these things that like don't feel true to me anymore. Like I don't want to tell people to do this. And that was like a mind fuck, like we said. And I kept getting like sicker. I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues. I hadn't found any solutions yet. So I was just in like a bad place. 
and social media wasn't helping along with like the news and seeing like the picture perfect parts of it. Like it was all just such a mess. And then when I became pregnant, I just deleted everything altogether. I closed Mm. the business, like told all my clients, I'm not working anymore. Close the business, which I had the, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Like I understand the privilege I have, but I did that and deleted Facebook, Instagram, everything had no intention to come back. But on that time off, I realized that social media itself isn't the problem. Mm. It was how I was interacting with it. It was my relationship with it. It was super toxic. I was there for validation. I was there to prove something. I was there for all the wrong reasons. And then when I eventually came back after I had my daughter, because I wanted to be a part of the ether, I wanted to be a part of the village and meet people and connect. I have a new relationship with social media. I'm very conscious of my relationship with it and I enjoy using it now. Like it's mm. really, it's gain. I gain something instead of it draining from me. Yeah. And that makes all the difference in the world for me because I enjoy it now. It's fun. I love yeah. going on Instagram and posting stuff and interacting. And so now you can say for the most part, because we are human, but mm-hmm. you can say that when you show up to share, it's not so much about like, you aren't concerned about the likes or the comments or the interactions or whatever. It just feels like peaceful for you to be able to like speak your truth and then peace out. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it feels like. I have something on my heart. I post it. Um, if it reaches one person and one person is like, wow, like that's exactly what I need to hear. Like I'm super satisfied. Mm -hmm. And I also, the, I, that's the reason I'm able to hold that perspective is because I did the the work of understanding how social media really works. And like, we all kind of know, but like, I feel like we ignore it, but th- it really is, a, it's a artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and it, they design it in a way so that we feel this way because they make money when we off of our insecurities, they make money off of our need for validation and they design it in a way to trigger all of that. Mm-hmm. So I understand that when I get a sudden boost of likes or when I see those numbers rolling in and all that stuff, like I'm able to distance myself a bit from it. And I'm not so personally invested because I know it's not tied to my worth or my identity Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Where before I was like, oh my God, why did that picture not perform? Like, because the the algorithm didn't show it to a lot of people. (laughs) That's it. Full stop. Yeah, exactly. Whereas before I'd be like, oh my God, I guess what I wrote was garbage yeah. and it doesn't matter. But no, it does like, because it came from me and that, and now I just have so much fun there. I yeah. It. it really is so freeing. That's something that's happened in the last year or so. And I don't know if it's because Jonathan doesn't have social media. And so I don't know, just like kind of watching him indirectly be so free from it I feel like I've just sort of energetically showed up differently to where I'm like, he doesn't need other people to know what's going on in his life. He's so detached from it that it kind of like allows me, like living by example, right? Where it allows me to show up and just be like, you know what? Doesn't matter. You know, this it makes me feel good to share my experience. And like you said, if like a couple people, truly, if a couple people are like, oof, that landed. Like, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Like, truly, my intention is just to put it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love that. And something that you write when you first began your relationship with social media, you wrote this in your book. Uh, we used to have the vague general concept of society telling us what was true and who we should be and what we should think. Now society has a megaphone named social media, and it is infiltrating every aspect of our waking lives. That is such a real statement. <laughs> Does it make you 
sad, the truth of that? Or are you just at this place of like, that's just the way it is. We learn to adapt and we learn to deal. Right. I mean, it's sad because not enough people are maybe aware of it. Mm -hmm. So like it's, it's damaging more people than it should, I think. But obviously we're having more of these conversations. The more we do, the more people are like paying attention, but yeah, the, that megaphone is super loud. Mm -hmm. It's shouting in our faces from every different direction, literally all day long from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. And yeah, I do think it's sad. I also think that there's so much room on there on the internet for so much good. And I I came to this revelation recently. I don't know if I was talking to myself or if I said it out loud, but (laughs) the idea that like, yes, social media is making our mental health problems worse. It's exacerbating them, all these things. So many more people have mental health issues than before, like all of that. Mm -hmm. However, and both and, Mm -hmm. um, social media, all of the, what's going on there. It's the first time that any of us have resources and accessibility and the conversation around mental health is being normalized. So are there more people with mental health issues now? Sure. Did we know how many people had mental health issues before? No, because people weren't talking about it. People didn't have access to talk about it or resources or anything. So we don't really know what was going on like in generations before us, but we know now that people are coming up and speaking up about it and, and they're finally now seeking help. Mm-hmm. Whereas like when we were kids, that wasn't made available to us really. It wasn't super common. Like I had all the symptoms present of somebody with an anxiety disorder when I was a kid and not any doctor I went to brought it up, mm-hmm. right? It was, it's just not conversation. Now it is. Mm-hmm. So the, the resources are, are there, the accessibility and the internet makes that available to people who it wouldn't have been available to in the past. So it's sad that it's also used to fuck with us, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a lot of power in the people and the more power we have, the more we can like take mm-hmm. the reins a little bit mm-hmm. as much as we can. I mean, it's still a robot. It's smarter than us, but I think there's power in, in numbers but it's so true because like yes it's it's ai but there are people designing that ai and they have to listen to what the demand is doing like what the people are doing and you're right if we shift it has to shift along with us i mean honestly those kind of companies they they try and do everything to to grip right the matrix (laughs) they're like trying to like twist it and make us you know reevaluate the new profound shifts that we've made but you're right it's it's the power of the people i think that's really beautifully put So you have a chapter in the book called Who Are You Really? And I want to dive into this because, in my opinion, this is where social media can really hurt the most. Um, It can blur the lines between, like, who we were before and who we are now, intoxicated and more connected than ever to the world around us. So not always a bad thing, but it's definitely a thing. So can you talk about this portion of the book, what it means to you and why you felt it was worth including including it in there and just how it relates to our digital age. Yeah. So that chapter, I think kind of introduces the concept that I try to bring up a lot in the book about like reconnecting to our inner child. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that gets talked about a lot in like a new agey way, but I do believe there's substance there to the idea that we were once these little children who were like not tainted yet by the world around us. And I think we all still have access to that version of ourselves. If nothing else, just in like 
memory and mm-hmm. like remembering being that little kid. And I've been working really hard on accessing that part of myself. And I've learned so much. And I really believe that like that's our truest or for me personally, and that's what I share in the book, like that's my truest self. Like when I think about like eight-year-old Lauren, like in second grade or something, and like what she was thinking and what she was feeling, like whenever I go back and think about her and try to sit with her, I learn so much about myself and who I want to be right now and how I want to show up and what makes me happy and what makes me feel good. And I think that the internet, we're so busy keeping up. Like we're just constantly like looking around out there and thinking like, how do I keep up? How do I stay on top of the next thing that we're not checking in Mm. to ourselves? Mm -hmm. So we spend all our time outwardly, externally keeping up where we need to spend that time checking in with ourselves and being like, is that true for me? Like, does that feel true for me? Mm-hmm. Not because they're telling me it should, but because how does it feel? Yeah. And that takes so much like work because it's a skill that needs to be learned. It's a muscle that needs to be strengthened. No one's telling us to do it. Like we have every influencer telling us how to like train our waist and what to eat and how to be a boss babe and like all yeah. these other things. We <laughs> need somebody to remind us to do that work. Yeah. So strengthen that muscle. Mm, it's so true. And it really is such a complex double-edged sword because I'll be the first to tell you (laughs) that oftentimes social media has really taught me so much. And I don't know why I feel hesitant even saying that. I think I have this complex of like wanting to be that super woke version of myself who's like, Mm. social media is a bonus. It has nothing to do with my involvement and growth. But that wouldn't be true. Um, It really has taught me so much and it's really awoken me to my own creativity to be honest and the inspiration is so real it's so magical but then the line is so fine because it gets blurry between what's yours and what's mine you know inspiration versus like complete morphing and so I often find myself asking the question of like what genuinely came from me or like what do I genuinely want to create and what did I spin as my own on accident, right? right? Not right. with this like malicious intention of like taking something that doesn't belong to me. We subconsciously do this all the time. Instagram, for instance, it's like a walking billboard. It reminds me of the saying that's like, don't think of a purple, purple elephant. And you're like, well, right. fuck, you know? <laughs> it's all just like right there. Yeah. And like, I love that it awakens the poetry side of me, that it inspires to put myself in front of the camera and really, like, drop that fear around being seen, right? That's, like, really important work. Um, I learn something new about different cultures and different religions, different races, and I find, I don't know, just, like, a unique way to design my upstairs hallway, something as, like, silly as that. Um, but it's just a fucking lonely place all at the same time. Yeah. I don't know, like, what gives? I don't know how to, like, yeah, separate I mean, that. Everything you're saying is true. Everything you're saying is true and valid, and I know that so many people feel the exact same way. And I feel like that work involves, like, laying that all out for yourself mm. and, like, unpacking it, examining, evaluating, and being like, okay, this is all the things I gain from social media. And they're valid, and they're offering value to my life. I'm not going to give them up. I want more of them. Mm-hmm. But the times when I'm feeling lonely... The times I'm feeling any lack, any mm. like negative feeling, I always the work the question I try to ask myself is why. Mm-hmm. So anytime I'm feeling triggered, like why do I 
why do I feel lonely when I'm not getting interaction on social media? Like mm. if I'm like in my stories or something and I'm asking questions and I'm talking and it feels like I'm talking to the void because nobody's interacting or responding to me. I'm like, Oh God, like what a lonely place, what a lonely feeling. And I've noticed that when I do that, I'm like, okay, Lauren, like, why do you, why do you feel lonely? Like what, what's happening here? Like mm. you have this beautiful life. It's full. It has, you have so much here going on. Like, why is it that when you talk to yourself on your screen and nobody talks back, you're, <laughs> you're suddenly lonely and have nobody like, so I've, I've learned for myself personally that that feeling was coming from a place of like being lonely in my own presence mm, almost with yourself, and, like not yeah. really like knowing myself or hanging out with myself. So I've done a lot of like self-love kind of work over the past year, especially during quarantine and being like stuck here with myself. And that's helped me a lot. Like I genuinely am like, I think I'm a good time. I have fun with myself. Like if no, if the only person listening to me when I do stories is me, it's about, it's great. Yeah. I have a good time. It's fun. (laughs) And that small perspective shift was pretty significant because Mm -hmm. it made it so that I don't feel lonely when I go on anymore. And that made all the difference. Yeah. Oh, that was beautifully put. It's so true. Just and also just like really paying mind to the what I try to do within my everyday life is really feeling into the expansion or contraction. Mm-hmm. Right? Like did that just make me expand or did that make me contract? But you're right, just following up with that question of like why and really getting to the root and examining what's yeah. behind that. So when it comes to your kids, do they partake in social media? I know you have an older stepson and then your daughter is still pretty small, but I guess I'm wondering how do you set boundaries for him or how do you expect to set boundaries for her, introduce her to social media? Yeah, this has been a huge point of contention in our household. Really? A three-year-old daughter and then I have two stepsons. One is nine, Mm. one is 12. And the nine-year-old not on social media, like he's really into like video games now and that's like a whole other addiction, but he's not on social media. But the the 12-year-old is, he's in sixth grade. He's also like really advanced. Like he's been a YouTuber since he was like eight. He taught himself how to do it all. He like teaches himself how to code and how Mm. to make music on the internet and how to make all these programs. Like he's stuff that I don't really even understand. Like Mm -hmm. he just Googled his way through and he does a really good job at it. But he's also like on TikTok and on Snapchat and like all of his friendships kind of live on the internet and it's something I'm not super well versed in. So it's suddenly come to head where like, you know, we want to go do something and he like, we can't pull him away from his computer or he's like super consumed by his screens and it's just like really hard. And we've tried like kind of just using it as a punishment at first, like, okay, if you're going to be an a-hole for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word, like if you're going to act like that and be nasty and mean and disrespectful, the consequences, like you don't have access to your screens for a week, let's Mm -hmm. say. So we would do that. And we would definitely notice within that week what a change, like he would be a completely different kid because he didn't have access to his screens. He would be more talkative, more engaged, more present, like nicer, all these things. But then as soon as he would get them back, Mm it's right back in. So he didn't learn anything. He was just like kind of holding his breath, waiting to get his screens back. So this last time I basically sat him down and I was like, dude, like we're taking it away and you're going to determine when you get them back. Like you have to show us a consistent change in behavior. Like you actually want Mm -hmm. to try and change how you're interacting with this stuff. And when we see that consistently, not just like a day and then we give it back and it's back to normal. Like Mm -hmm. I need to see that you're making an effort 
And that involves like, he has to like ask us before he is going to use his computer or something or like, let it just like keeping us in the loop. Like, Hey guys, yeah. I'm going to go close my door. Cause I'm recording something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not just like run out, run home from school, shut his door and, and pretend like we don't right. exist. Like right. there's this like common mutual respect that needs to happen. And he's like old enough and smart enough to understand it. So there's definitely a lot of pushback from him, but it's been going okay. He does need reminders, but I think this, the, the conversation around boundaries, that was the first time it really came up. And I was like, listen, we just need you to have these boundaries. Mm-hmm. We've been trying our best to teach you how to have boundaries and put them in place for you. That doesn't seem to be working. Right. Because you just kind of wait till we're turning our head and go back to what you were doing. So these boundaries need to be yours. They need to be your habits. You need to put them in place. You need to know why they're there. And like that needs to, and if you have questions, you can talk to us, but like that needs to be the goal here. The goal is not, be nice for a few days until you get your stuff back. Right. And so we, we talk about it for sure. But like I said, at the beginning, like until, you know, we really have a full understanding of what that looks like, what Mm -hmm. having boundaries of social media, what it means, all the implications, like how am I supposed to teach, teach him how to do it? Like, I'm just learning myself, like what that even looks like. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of learning together and I try my best to lead by example. And a big part of that is just like, habits you set in the home right so like he knows like at dinner time no one has their phone out he knows that when we're watching a show nobody has their phones out and I'm super conscious like if I'm you know watching a tv show with them and I grab my phone to like scroll Instagram because I don't really want to watch the cartoon we're watching I'm like well let me put my phone away I don't want him to see me do that mm-hmm. um and it's just like a daily practice it's just daily every day remembering these boundaries how to how to use them when to use them but man I don't know what I want to do with my daughter. I definitely feel, I think it's a bit different for boys and girls. I've noticed because the boys have like zero tolerance for boredom. So Mm -hmm. they need constant stimulus all the time. I don't know if that's a gender thing. I don't know if that's just because like they've had video games and TV shows, like all this stuff. But like my daughter can be alone in a room for hours and just invent a whole world for herself and play. And she still watches plenty of TV and like wants to use the iPad and things like that. But those maybe because I've been raising her from like birth, like, and I've, and I've been aware of this stuff since the time I've had her, it's like a different situation. So I've been putting those boundaries in place unknowingly, but yeah, I think she's a little bit better off when it comes to, to that stuff. And who knows what kind of social media is going to be around when she's truly no idea, but I, um, I do see a lot of good happening. I see a lot of girls, like you said, talking about like, you know, just taking ownership of themselves, having mm-hmm. these really important conversations, like being these badass bitches. And I love that, like, those are the role models she's going to grow up with compared to the ones I had. So that's positive. And just kind of being there for her all the time, talking to her and teaching her. And I feel like it, I I have a better chance with her because we're, like, doing it together. Mm-hmm. And she's still so young that by the time she's 12, like my oldest son, I'll have enough, like, learnings in my tool belt to be able to yeah. share with her. But my 12-year-old, like... We're kind of just on this train together going nowhere. We don't know what's happening. <laughs> I still but, think it's beautiful, yeah. though, that you aren't blowing smoke. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're you're aware and honest with the fact that you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm walking alongside you. Like, yeah. but that you're not, I think oftentimes as adults or superiors, whatever you want to call it, we can try and create this, like, false sense of reality or of knowing, you know, and, like, projected onto the younger generation where instead you're like, I don't know, let's figure this out together. I think that's really cool. 
Yeah, I hope he notices that too. But that is what he I'm probably doing. does it right now. But he might yeah. later. So let's talk about social media doc- detoxes. I want to hear from you in your own words what that looks like or means like for you, and how you explore it in your book. So how you talk about it with your readers? Can you shed some light there? Sure. So. I was doing this like haphazardly for a really long time. Like even before I had my online business, like ever, like in my early twenties, I Mm -hmm. remember probably the first time I did it, I feel like it was like a winter break, like in my early Mm twenties. And I was just like so fed up. I was also like online dating at the time. And I was just all so messy and constant in my life that I remember I just like deleted everything for remember, I think it was like the month of December, like all of winter break. And I didn't know if I would sign back on or not, but I just like, that was my first detox, I guess. And I remember like thinking like, oh my God, like I have all these pictures. Am I going to post them? Like nobody knows where I am. It wasn't like I announced it. Like, hey guys. They've forgotten about me. I've vanished. Yeah. (laughs) Now I have like following, I guess, Mm -hmm. like an audience that I can like speak directly to. But then it was just like friends and family like on my Facebook page. So I did that. It felt good. I came back on and then it was kind of just like on and off. I say it was like Ross and Rachel, like on break, on off a break, like back and forth. And until that time I was pregnant that I deleted it for like an indefinite amount of time. I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting to come back on. And then since then, I'm a bit more conscious of like how I use these detoxes. And I've noticed that preparing beforehand is super important. So not just like haphazardly deleting all the apps off your phone because you feel like you had enough Uh because very quickly find yourself back on the apps. Yeah. But what I've learned is that I'm like, okay, next week I'm going to do a detox or this weekend or next month or whatever it is. And I plan ahead for that. So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to have all this white space in my day that I'm, cause you don't realize how often you just grab your phone to like fill in the so true. boredom and fill white space. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with that white space? Here's my stack of books that I'm going to have nearby. Here's all these podcasts I'm going to subscribe to. Here's all these other ways I'm going to feel like scratch that itch in the moment. Mm -hmm. And while at the same time using this time to understand myself better and why do I need to scratch that itch? What is the itch? Where does it come from? And just like really prepping myself beforehand so that when I go through the detox, it's productive. Mm-hmm. And then when I come back, I've learned something, I've gained something that I can use when I'm online from this, from that point on. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like I learn a bit more each time I do it. Um, and it's just kind of like maintenance at this point. So like, yeah. as soon as I start feeling like up to here with my social media and I'm like, okay, I need a break. I'm better equipped to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to the people who are like, I'm so tired about hearing about social media detoxes. Do you think that there's something to just forming a balance that works uniquely for you? Or, I mean, there's no wrong answer. I'm curious as to what you think. Or do you think it is essential for us to take a step back, to fully step away from time to time? Yeah, I mean, anybody who feels like they have an unhealthy relationship with social media, and, like, I can't say everybody does, but it's pretty common from the conversations I've been having with people. So, and, like, the conversations people are having on their own, on the internet and stuff. So, if if you're someone who feels like you have an unhealthy relationship, I do think that taking a step away initially is super important because you learn a lot about yourself. Mm -hmm. You'll see how often you grab your phone and swipe and look for those apps. You'll feel that discomfort when you start having the boredom sink in, when you're left alone with your thoughts, when you can't instantly numb them or distract yourself. Like you have to do that work and sit with yourself, know yourself, learn yourself a bit more in order to set boundaries. Totally. 
Like if you don't know what your needs are and what your problems are, how are you going to come up with solutions? So in order to do that, I do think you should take a, whatever you're going to call it, take a detox, take a break, do it for some amount of time. And then when you come back, maybe your solution is just having a more mindful relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And then you're fine. But for me, I've just noticed that that can kind of get away from me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'll just kind of be in a busy season. I'll just be on all the time and answering comments and like getting really into it. And then finally find myself triggered and like reactive. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's a good sign where I need to loosen up and take a break and not be on my phone so much. But yeah, everyone's different, I think. But I do think you should start by taking, like taking it all away for like, yeah, a full detox and like yeah. deal with troubles. Well, and what I'm hearing too, what sounds really lovely is that like you're doing these detoxes, these breaks, but it's a really beautiful balance of like give and take. You know, it doesn't feel like you're like giving, 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 giving. You know, it's yeah. like you're able to give to the community by, you know, answering comments and stuff like that. And that feels really energetically healthy. That's good. That's good. That's good. And then you're taking that break to sort of like rebalance yourself so that you can go back and do that again and be there for the people who like, want to communicate and connect with you. I think that's a really good way to look at it. So it doesn't feel like you're having to like give something up, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's also individual, personal for everybody. So like my personality is like, I like talking to people and interacting and like this type of stuff and like Mm -hmm. making friends on the internet, like Mm -hmm. that's life giving for me. Like I love it. But I find myself when I'm just consuming, it's super draining. Yeah. And 100%. When I, that's so when interesting. I'm creating, when I'm creating stuff, yeah. it's giving and I'm gaining something because I'm like, I'm making something and it feels good. And then I post it and posting, it feels like really cathartic and good. And so that's the, that feels good. But then the consuming part again and reading the comments and reading the yeah. bad news. But for other people that might be different, maybe consuming is how they get their inspiration. Yeah. And maybe yeah. that's like giving to them. But then the part of like, having to answer every single message is like, like so I heard Glennon Doyle talk about this on her podcast recently yes. she doesn't answer text messages. Yeah. Like everyone's different. Yeah. So just knowing yourself. Yeah. I love that. I She's like, she, she talks about how it feels like just as invasive as someone just ringing your doorbell. I love that yeah, so much. I'm like, you in the forehead. that is so true. I feel the same. Text messages yeah. feel really draining to me. Um, but something that you said that it just like sparks a light bulb in my brain was it's so funny how it really does look like an oxymoron because, you know, for me, my dream, if I'm being totally transparent, is to be able to show up on the podcast every day and not really market it at all. Like, not feel like I have to go on social media to promote it, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'd love to be able to just pop on Instagram once in a while, maybe share a poem that I wrote or, like, something that I'm, you know, feeling when it comes to, like, healing and grief and then dip out and just podcast all the time and not have to, like, do anything other than have a conversation either with myself or people like you. That is so life-giving to me. Whereas scrolling through Instagram, purely just scrolling, I'm fucking exhausted after, like, five minutes. And that doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it does and it doesn't at the same time. Like, it feels like it would be the opposite. Like you're just relaxing and scrolling and scrolling. But yeah, you're taking in so much noise and then like subconsciously integrating all of these shoulds. Right. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like you're thinking of like, 
because you can't help, especially yeah. content creators, you can't help but think like, ooh, that's a good, let me, let me bookmark all that. Totally. And then your brain is like, has all these bookmarks. Yes. Like, you can't go back to them, So, but they're just sitting there and taking up all this space. Yeah. Man. Well, even like the physical bookmarking, like the art, the saving of posts, I'm yeah. like so scared to even go back and so overwhelmed yeah. by it just to see what I even have saved. Yeah. that therein lies the proof, right? Like the proof is in the pudding that I am just like mindlessly saving shit that I actually don't really care about. I'm like, I'll reference right. that later. Right. It's so much mind clutter. So let's try another, what would you say question? So what would you say in response to those who are like, okay, but my job revolves around social media. I can't just not show up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, of course I feel the same way, right? Like I'm not going to have anyone listen to my podcast or read my book if I'm not telling people who I am. Which sucks. I hate, yeah, it's definitely been a point of contention and like a thing I've had to reconcile with as I write a book about Mm -hmm. not being on social media. But, um, yeah, I think for those people, I would say if you start feeling like your relationship is becoming unhealthy Mm -hmm. and you're needing time away from it, there are programs, platforms, ways to do it so that you're not losing momentum with your business, right? Yeah. So there's tons of scheduling tools. There's, you know, you can schedule out newsletters, you can schedule out posts, you can do all these things, you can alert your following like, hey, I'm not going to be here. But you can, if you want to still be available to your audience or to your clients, like, you know, I'm not going to be on social media, but you can find me here at my email address. Mm. Or and you might see an auto response that says this, but, but, and you can follow the directions. Like you can kind of like That's so guide smart. Your, your, your audience of like what, cause there are solutions, right? Like yeah. the truth is we think we all have to be so available. Right. But like none of us really need to be, and we're all humans and we all understand the concept or most, at least our generation, our age group can remember like what it was like before that was the, the normal. So we can be like, Hey guys, like I'm going to step away like, I'll be back in a few days. Mm-hmm. So expect me back then. If you have, like, an urgent matter, this is how you can do that. Mm-hmm. If it's not urgent, I won't be responding. Mm-hmm. Like, setting that standard. Like, we need to start setting the standards for ourselves. Totally. And up until now, we've kind of just ridden this wave with with social media and been like, we're always available. We're always here. Keep liking. Keep posting. Never stop. But if we start setting the standard and we're like, hey, guys, like I'm not here on Fridays or like I'm not in the in the office on Fridays or whatever. That's for people who like have their own businesses and, and do their own thing. But maybe that'll start bleeding into like how real office life works. Yeah. And like people can start making like people are working from home now. That's becoming more normal, like for employees to start setting their own standards. of yeah. like This is when I get my work done. This is the quality of my work. And yeah. it's still really good. And. Yeah, that's such that. a good point because I often, I mean, I asked that question because I know a lot of people can probably relate to it, but I also asked it from a selfish point of view as well because that is something that I struggle with both with the Calm Collective but also with my photography business. It's like that is such a visual thing that I'm like, oh, well, I have to constantly right. post on Instagram. But it really isn't true, and I, I think I'm starting to look at it more as like, okay, I have a bunch of images on there. As it is. Why not just treat it like a portfolio, like if you went to my website? Why does it have to be like every day I'm adding something new? And I really love your idea of even just having like a link for people to click on where they can find you, where you show up the most. Like for me, it's like subscribe to the podcast if you want to hear from me often because this is where I am or the newsletter because I'm always sending out newsletters that are like 
you know, Instagram posts on crack. So that's such a good point. I love that advice. Yeah. And like doing what you just did and like recognizing like, okay, what part of this process is enjoyable for me? Where am I happy to give myself? Yeah. And what part is just like, feels like a chore. If it feels like a chore, it's not doing anything. Like a should. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're just posting to post, nobody fucking cares. No one's seeing it. No one's reading it. It's not touching anybody. And they're also feeling that energy of like, this is empty. It's really exactly. It's energetically empty. So if you, instead of focusing any amount of your energy on that stuff and focusing it all on the stuff that feels really good and lights you up, that comes across. And that's when all the stuff starts happening. That's when the connections and that like abundance and that snowball starts rolling because you're investing it in a place that expands. Like you said, instead of contracts. Right. I feel like we just touched on this, but I guess I still want to ask the question in case you have um, an extension of the answer, but how do we, how do we grow with social media instead of against it? How do we honor what its gifts are and, and let it support us without being swallowed whole and like losing our identity? Is that, I know it's possible. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's possible too. I think that at least from my perspective, my experience, what's been going on for me lately, Mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of, you know, self growth, like self-love work. I mean, I just turned, I'm 31 now. Like I'm in a new season of life. So I just am feeling like I'm really enjoying myself for the first time. I'm taking really good care of myself for the first time. So like, I'm very invested in like being playful and having fun and like Mm. exploring that part of my personality. So instead of looking at social media as like a should, I look at it as like, I get to, I get uh-huh. to use it yeah. to play with this side of myself, yeah. to, to explore this version of me. And I'm sure that I'm just going to keep doing that with every season of life because it's just this tool now that I can use to be like, Oh, I'm going to like try on this weird outfit and take a picture and I'm going <laughs> to do this and do a pose. And I'm going to write this thing that was on my mind or whatever. And it's more, it's like a tool in my self growth toolkit now, as yeah. opposed to this, like, business tool and I've noticed for myself and my audience that that works for us yeah like it's a good way for us to connect and relate to each other but yeah I think that I that's how I see myself growing with Mm -hmm. social media I also am super conscious to not like buy into all the new fads and trends of social media totally so I see it all as like a fun thing to play with right Mm -hmm. so like reels came out and everyone's like we gotta figure out reels we gotta do it all this stuff and I was like yeah but like another one will just come up and like it'll be fine Mm -hmm. so like yeah reels is fun I want to play around with it see if it feels good it didn't. So I was like, I'm going to stay on TikTok and I'm having a blast on TikTok. My goodness, I'm having so much fun over there. But same thing with like Clubhouse. Clubhouse came out and I got on at the beginning and I was like, oh, I'm going to be on before everyone. I'm going to really make this thing a, you know, a success for myself. But it felt like I, it didn't feel like a match for me. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to use Clubhouse. Yeah. Instead of thinking like, I have to use Clubhouse because I'm going to miss this opportunity. Totally. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can relate wholeheartedly well before we leave here can you let the listeners know where they can find you um and also where they can get a copy of your book yeah um (laughs) so they can find me at laurenelman.com i'm sure that'll be linked but everything about the book is there and of course on instagram so that's just laurenelman underscore i hang out there most of the day i'm in my stories i'm posting 
that's where like we can hang out. You can go in my DMs. We can talk. Like that's where I like to connect with people. But in regards to the book, you can get it anywhere. You can get Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I'm encouraging everyone to buy it from my independent local bookstore in Miami. It's called Books and Books because cool. I'd rather your money go there than yeah. to Jeff Bezos. But of course, <laughs> if you buy it from Amazon, it's cool too. <laughs> like that. Of course, I'm not gonna like tell you not to. But you can do it all there. The book is launching on May 25th. I don't know when this episode is going live. But um, if you pre-order before then, you'll be able to access the audiobook for free and some playlists that I've put together for oh, the millennial throwback so playlist. So good. Yeah, so all of that is in there. And if you want a signed copy, you can order from Books and Books and um, request a signed copy, and I can personalize it and stuff like that. And then after May 25th, it'll just be available, and you can buy it, and it'll show up at your door <laughs> a few days later. But, yeah, that's where you can get it. So good. Well, thank you so much for being here yet again, and just congratulations on your second book. It's thank you. so crazy. Yeah. I'm so dang proud of you and in awe just of how you show up and you share your journey so vulnerably. Um, really grateful to know you. Oh, thank you so much. The sentiment is is mutual. <laughs> I feel the exact same way about you. I'm so, so lucky. So there you have it, my interview today with Lauren Elman, all around mental health and social media. I don't know about you, but I took away so many golden nuggets from that conversation. If you loved this episode and you feel called to share, please feel free to do that and to tag myself at the Calm Collective underscore and Lauren at Lauren Elman underscore. I believe I have that right. It's linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you have a second, if you want to leave a review, that's amazing. It really helps the podcast to grow and to land in the laps of those who need it most. No pressure. Love you either way. And I'll see you back here next week.